welcome to the hot seat. I'm Martin Rogers here with Tony Travers to discuss the recent government reshuffle. Tony, welcome. Is this reshuffle uh, signifier of a move to the right by the government? I think it's a slight tilt to the right for the government. I mean, it's worth remembering that the Liberal Democrats are part of the government and they're going to be a limit or a constraint on how far David Cameron as Prime Minister can push his government to the right. But there have been siren voices, particularly on the backbenches in the Conservative Party, saying we want real Toryism, real Conservatism. And I think he's slightly fed that, tried to do something about it. And what we're seeing here is what both Labour and Conservative governments tend to find in mid-term, which is that their own supporters say, why can't we have real policies for our party? Well, you know, it's a slight tilt, but not a massive one. And who do you think has come out of this strengthened or weakened in terms of the main players, but also the government as a whole? I mean, David Cameron, as Prime Minister, must feel he gets something out of this. And he certainly gets the opportunity to have a relaunch, beginning of the parliamentary year, sort of, uh, and to start again. So for him, it, it must be a slight opportunity, it has been an opportunity slightly to reassert his authority. Uh, for Deputy Prime Minister Nick Clegg, Liberal Democrat leader, I don't think there's much in it for him. In fact, he appears sidelined in all of this. This all just shows you how powerful the office of Prime Minister is. Uh, elsewhere in the government, George Osborne, Chancellor, at one point seemed to be his job was under threat. In the end, he stayed on. He does now have uh, Kenneth Clark as Minister Without Portfolio. Clark, ex-Chancellor, somebody with enormous experience. He's been in uh, on the Conservative front bench on and off since the early 1970s. So... He may be seen to be a bit of a challenge to Osborne, but he might help him. It depends how it all turns out. So I think for the biggest beasts in government, that's how it all plays out. For the Labour Party on the other side, on the opposition, I think they will see this as they can paint it as a, a sort of desperate move. That's how oppositions always paint these things for governments. And the government have been making a big play of saying that this is not a change with regard to policy, but uh, an attempt to improve implementation. How much do you buy that and do you think that's credible? I think almost all Prime Ministers, when they feel things are not going very well, feel we, what we should have is a reshuffle. And then we'll have a reshuffle and we'll say we're now going to really implement our policies more effectively, or even more so in the past, presentation. We will improve the presentation of what we've been doing. In fact... Uh, the government's passed quite a lot of law in the first two and a half years it's been in power. We're arriving from next year at the point where several of these changes in legislation really start to have an effect. But I mean, whether changing a few people in the cabinet is going to radically alter that radically, I doubt somehow. Again, you know, for education, no change. For health, a new uh, member of the cabinet complicated health reforms that might help there with presentation if not implementation so I think it's more a matter of could this lead to better presentation it's unlikely radically to affect implementation. How much do reshuffles actually matter to people outside of the Westminster bubble will the makeup of the cabinet that uh, is more male more white more Oxbridge educated than this time last week what how will this affect the government's relationship with the people of the country? I think it's very hard to imagine a cabinet reshuffle being the kind of thing that people are discussing in pubs and, well, playing sport in the evening, you know, immediately after it. I think it is profoundly interesting to a small number of people and 
for them it will be seen as a signal and that will sort of push its way through the whole political system. But I think for the broad mass of the public, you know, the name of the health secretary, the name of the education secretary, whether they've changed or not, is not nearly as important as, crucially, whether the economy is growing or not. And as of, as of today, the economy still isn't growing. Was Osborne ever likely to leave or was that speculation? I think it was always speculation. The truth is that Osborne and Cameron, as Chancellor and Prime Minister, get on curiously well. If you look back through the last government, the Labour government, the hideous relationship between Blair and Brown, and before that, the relationship between particularly Mrs Thatcher and her chancellors, which was always fractious. In fact, the Cameron-Osborne relationship isn't that bad at all. Where there are disagreements, they tend to be uh, you know, easily understood outside uh, government, they're not like Blair and Brown, fought inside, you know, behind closed doors. So I think in some ways Osborne's position remains relatively secure, even though he doesn't show up as very popular with members of the public. Are there any rising stars that we should keep our eye on who've been promoted recently, um, moved to new positions? Anyone that you, you tip for the top in the future? Well, I think... To answer a slightly different question, a remarkable advancement is for Jeremy Hunt. Uh, Jeremy Hunt, who was Culture Secretary, uh, got in a terrible mess over his relations and relationships with the Murdochs and suddenly finds himself uh, promoted to one of the great offices of state, uh, Secretary of State for Health, and actually at a time when health is going to be very, very, very important. So I think that is probably one of the most interesting uh, advances. One or two others, Theresa Villiers going, no- going to Northern Ireland. Um, I think that's an interesting move for her. Clearly evidence she's on her way up. Um, but beyond that, you know, there's not a great deal. That's Chris Grayling again, you know, moving into a more powerful position. So one or two uh, good, I mean, good results for individuals. Um, but I don't think you see out of this uh, Cameron bringing on, certainly into the Cabinet, uh, pushing up lots of new talent. What you've got is, further down the government, individuals coming in who I think will be seeing themselves as people with a, you know, a cabinet future. What about the replacement at the chair of the party, Baroness Wazi going, Grant Shapps entering? Is this about um, the build-up to the next election, having a record to fight on or improving the campaigning abilities of the mm. participants? I think... Baroness Wazi is a, you know, a fascinating figure in the present government. And I think though you know, she did relatively well as party chair, it is difficult. And what's needed, certainly in the run-up to an election, is somebody who's a sort of uh, a tough campaigner. And Grant Shapps undoubtedly is that. And he's seen as that. He's liked by uh, party members. He's seen as offering them a sort of blue meat, you know, a real sort of Toryism. And... He knows how to campaign, and I think in that sense, as we move through half term, you know, or halfway through uh, the Parliament, you can definitely see Grant Shapps as the beginning of an outline of fighting the general election in 2015 or 2014. Do you think this is going to significantly change or affect the result in 2014 or 2015? I think all the evidence of past reshuffles is that they have virtually no effect on the government's popularity. I mean, uh, I was talking about this with some sort of academic uh, political scientist types uh, a couple of days ago, and the only major reform that 
anybody could remember that had had a big effect was Harold Macmillan's massive clear-out, the so-called Night of the Long Knives, and that did apparently have an impact afterwards on the government's popularity. But I think for most modern governments, you know, there's a bit of tinkering. The Prime Minister feels better, but in the end, uh, it has no impact on public opinion and certainly not on the polls. Um, What's about the fact that the ministers have been left in place for so long and what does this say about the continuity of, of the government? Well, I think it's worth pointing out that this is David Cameron's first major and unforced um, cabinet reshuffle. And to his credit, he has left uh, ministers in position for significantly longer. Uh, And indeed, he's not reconfigured Whitehall as much as earlier prime ministers have. And I think in terms of giving ministers the chance to master a brief or to get on top of their brief and then have a reasonably coherent relationship with civil servants, this policy has been better than the endless reorganisations of government that we have seen before. So I think in that sense it's worth complimenting the Prime Minister on not having endless reshuffles except when he has to. That's interesting in terms of Andrew Lansley who who held the brief for nine years but has now been moved on. So is that continuity important? Well I think early enough with the health brief Uh, The government probably thought enough's enough that Andrew Lansley may have nurtured the Conservatives' health policies in opposition, pushed them through as part of the coalition. But in the end, he's not seen as good enough at presentation. uh, I mean, the NHS has never been a strong policy for the Conservatives or indeed the coalition. For Labour, it's a much stronger policy area. And I suspect that David Cameron thought he needs much sharper presentational skills and that's why Jeremy Hunt's been brought in, uh, and leaving Andrew Lansley in the much less visible position as leader of the House. Thank you very much, Professor Tony Travers. You're off the hot seat. Thank you.